0: I do love that opening. I really do. It means different things on different days. And on, on this day, it has extra resonance because of the events that happened at the Capitol. Let me welcome Jim Stewartson and Joe Dempsey to the show. Both of them are not new to you guys. So welcome back, guys. Nice to have you here. Hi, it? Thanks for great great being here. Be here. We're going to have an interesting show tonight because we're not just going to look at what happened with the commission and the start of the hearings in the 1-6 commission, which was of course, riveting to watch today, Uh, a real moment that if you had a chance to see it, you were watching history. There's no doubt about it. The fight for democracy was uh, in full display in in that hearing room today. Uh, And those four brave Capitol Police uh, men who described what happened to them on 1-6 just uh, blew everyone away. It was an emotional day. I, I have to say, I'm a bit of a crier, but I was crying a lot today. I really was. If I was on TV, I'd probably be a little bit less uh, emotional. But I was. it was hard not to cry because it was so personal. Jim, what did you take away from the day? The thing that
1: struck me was that it was necessary for those police officers to, to reconvince part of the country that what happened. And it, to me, that speaks to the, the danger um, that we're in as a country where we cannot agree on the simplest fact, including the fact Of what we all saw with our own eyes. There were Um, multiple cameras and and multiple
2: eyewitnesses. And and others are trying to deny. If I had to sum up the hearings from today in three words, it would be emotional, powerful, and required. Mm. There definitely was emotion on display. Adam Kinzinger, obviously choking back tears. Listening to these stories, listening to hear exactly what these men went through and the women of the MPD and the United States Capitol Police, it's gut-wrenching just to hear and to see the injuries. You, you saw Officer Gannell's foot. I think that it was required in the sense that we needed to hear what they went through. Everybody in the country needed to hear in plain speak exactly what it was that these men and women had to suffer through and endure. I think the testimony of Officer Dunn was was riveting. I think to get into some of the racial abuses that he had to endure was disgusting. Mm-hmm. I think that all of what we saw today was sort of laid out in, in in full view of exactly why Kevin McCarthy did not want to have these hearings. I think that it was very powerful and strong of Liz Cheney. I think that she brings something to this committee that I think the Democrats have been lacking in some ways. In general. <laughs> yeah. In she, general. she strikes me as I want to get to the truth, and we're going to do just that. I think what was really important for me to hear, at least, and, and hopefully for the country to hear, was that the, co- the committee was going to issue subpoenas and enforce those subpoenas. We've been through hearings before. We've seen people just claim privileges that they don't exist to not have to participate because they just want to not go through a subpoena or, or not honor the subpoena. She said, We are going to enforce those subpoenas. And I think that's something that's been missing and hopefully will be important for us as we go forward.
0: It was really powerful at the end. I thought the last few minutes were incredibly powerful when they asked the, the Capitol Police uh, officers what they wanted to achieve um, out of the hearings. And each one of them basically said they wanted to know who was responsible for it, who was ultimately the person, the, the hitman analogy, which one of them used, was really effective. There's a person who, who does the hit, but there's also the person who orders the hit and they want to know who ordered the hit. And I think that's such an effective analogy. And it's really, it was good to hear them on the record say that that's what they expected. And it was good to hear the chairman of the committee and the members promise to do that, promise to figure that out. And they're both now on, on the record saying that they're they, what they want and what they will do in response to that. So I thought that
1: was really good. Seeing so many people cry so openly, to me, that what that speaks to is what I think is always under considered in these situations, which is the trauma. It's the psychological trauma of mm-hmm. these things, which are really the point, right? It's to traumatize and, and diminish people's ability to function and to work in our society because they've been hurt. And you see those officers and for that matter, the, the members of Congress who've just been psychologically
0: devastated by what, and, and that was the thing that struck me the most. There is a, such an important thing that happens when you testify, just the ability to speak on the record, to say what happened to them truthfully and honestly and emotionally. They regained power as they were speaking there and hearing the feedback as well from the dais, which was so supportive of them. And Some of the really life-saving moments were described. It really felt like a powerful moment because they were able to rebuild themselves. It reminded me a little bit of the uh, Truth and Reconciliation Committee hearings in South Africa after the end of apartheid, where the whole point was just about coming and testifying. Sure, there was some police action after that, but the biggest part of it was that everyone got on the record and said what they'd done or what they experienced. And that was a very cleansing process for South Africa. And I I felt a little bit like that watching today. These hearings are going to just go from here to to many interesting places because the three of us have been investigating Jan 6 extensively, mostly through Q for you, Jim. And Joe, you've been looking at a lot of the day of events as told you through the indictments. Was there anything in the indictments that reflected on today's hearings, or was there anything in the hearings today that reflected on the indictments? Yeah, this was
2: something that really caught my ear when it occurred. One of the videos that the commission played had some audio in it that was using communications. They were police communications about what was happening, where things were going on, what distress calls were being made. But then there was also one in particular that caught my ear that said, the tip of the sphere has breached the Capitol. And that came from the Zello chat. That Zello chat yep. channel that was this secu- that was a secured communication that the Oath Keepers were using. So what stands out to me is in the indictments, it does in fact say the the Oath Keepers were using the gel- the Zello chat, and there are certain things that were put out into the indictments based on what was said. This particular comment about the tip of the spear, I did not see in the indictments. This was new this audio, not previously. And you think that's language that I have heard that language used before by Stuart Rhodes. Wow. I've seen interviews where he has said, tip the spear. Now, I don't know if that was his voice. Sounds an awful lot like him. I'd have mm. to hear it again and,
0: and, and more of it, but that's just it. If they played that, there is more of it that we'd love to see. I've listened to that whole tape. I try to edit and try to find this the, the best moments and it sort of feels like it's missing something. It's missing the, the breach, actually. Uh, that's a good observation that there might be more of that tape. And boy, will there be something if it includes the the head of the Oath Keepers. That's that would be a, a massive a piece of evidence for them. And of course, there they were on that chat, you know, for hours discussing what they were doing and their intentions for being there. That's one group of people, sort of the militia people that were there. But then there's also the Q people that were there. And it feels to me like since the insurrection, the Q people and the militia people have sort of fused. They seem to have become yeah. a a unified entity, which is hard to describe how that happened. But it does feel like that we're looking at a movement that is still ongoing and has somehow Merged into its into a one being or one entity.
1: Yeah, I, I always thought that the I think it was Officer Hodges used the word QAnon, mm-hmm. which was I believe the first time <laughs> that word was uttered in Congress. Oh, really? I mean, at a hearing, yeah. they didn't. At the last, when they did the the previous hearings, no one said the word QAnon. They refused to say it. They wouldn't show pictures with Q flags in them. It was they. it looked like they were specifically avoiding that, but this time they were calling the people who did it, terrorists. They used the word cult, they used they used QAnon. And it felt to me that it was the forum that gave them the opportunity to do it. And thank God that Jim Jordan and the other lunatics that they're planning on putting on the, the commission didn't end up being there. Yeah. because I think it was a far more constructive experience for everyone without a bunch of yeah. It would be really disrespectful.
0: Yeah, if we yeah. had those guys there, and, and they would have just made the whole thing a sham and unnecessarily so. So, your point about language there is well taken about the use of the word terrorists in Congress. About these people that came there on on January the 6th, that's, that's, I don't know if it's been used before in Congress. Maybe it has, but certainly not in a hearing of this importance. And, and it was their choice to go there. They chose that language in their opening statements and they echoed it throughout. They felt like they were victims of a terror attack. And they were seats. Yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah.
2: Officer Hodges basically said to, to Raska, he told him, he he basically cited to him the U.S. code. He said, this is the definition of terrorism. And, and it fits. That's why I used it. He said, you know, you've used the word terrorist in your uh, testimony 15 times. He
0: says, that's why I used it, because that's why it fits. Wow. So then you're imagining a Fox audience, which actually broadcast the hearings today. I was really surprised that they took the hearings live. But that of what Fox audience hopefully is waking up to some new language, which they have not uh, seen before or heard before around the events of 1 6. Uh, probably not. The truth of the truth of the, they probably are going to continue their large scale cover up. At least the audience that would have seen the hearing today would have seen something remarkably different than they've been fed by Fox News up until this point.
1: Certainly so. Uh, Not to mention Newsmax and ON and and, and the really compromised networks that are literally just doing Russian propaganda. At least Fox
0: occasionally has a a bit of a... This week, I think, where they said it was okay to get vaccines. But other than that, they're they're in Looneyville. It's good that you bring those networks up because we've mentioned OAN on this network on this uh, on the show before. And OAN, we've discovered since, is really a Moonies-based network. They get their funding through the Moonies organization. We even knew there existed, never mind that they had enough money to run an American TV network. But since then, I've been digging into other networks in, in the United States and other forms of, of influence, whether they're financial influence or just propaganda influence. And one thing that keeps coming up is the Epoch Times and the NTD New Tang Dynasty Network. You guys are both familiar with the Epoch Times and NTD and we are going to spend a little time focusing on how important they were in making Q happen, but also making Stop the Steal happen and this general thinking that there is a propaganda machine that's coming out of these Asian countries or at least Asian nationals. We'll be right back. And we're talking about helix sleep we love helix sleep where are they where's my little helix my mantra from helix today's show is brought to you by helix sleep do you ever feel more tired when you wake up than you did when you went to bed i used to spend the whole day feeling exhausted and then tossed and turned when it was time for bed after taking a sleep quiz recently i realized my mattress was the primary cause of my sleep problems Helix Sleep knows you are a unique individual. With their sleep quiz, you can find the perfect mattress based on your body type and sleep preferences in just two minutes. Helix offers soft, medium, and firm mattresses that cool you down if you sleep hot, and even a Helix Plus mattress for plus-size sleepers. As a back sleeper who wanted a medium, firm mattress, my quiz matched me up with something called Helix Dusk Luxe, Say that a few times. My new mattress is far more comfortable than what I used to have. It's soft, but still supportive. And now I'm falling asleep right away and sleeping throughout the night. Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. They have a 10-year warranty and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. So if you're looking for a good night's sleep, just take the quiz. Order the mattress your match to. It comes to you right to your door. It's shipped for free. It's a box. A mattress pops out of it. It's easy peasy. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it after 100 days. But you will love it. Helix is offering our viewers and listeners up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com narrative. That's helixsleep.com narrative, N-A-R-A-T-I-V, for up to $200 off and two free pillows. Go get them. It's a good mattress. You'll enjoy your good night's sleep on that. All right, we're back with Jim and uh, and Joe. So while you were away, uh, Jim, I was starting to talk about you know, uh, Steve uh, Bannon. And Steve Bannon is a is an interesting character in the world of the insurrection, but also in the world of QAnon and just generally Trump politics. I know a, a fair bit about him, but you know way more about him. And tonight, because I'm talking about the Epoch Times and uh, and uh, NTD, we're going to focus a little bit on his connections to China. What do you think Steve Bannon's role was in, in January the 6th and in Inspiring this whole uh, insurrectionist movement. It's hard to tell exactly what his role was on 1-6, other than being
1: a general propagandist for Guo and the Epic Times and that whole thing. But in general, Steve Bannon was a Duganist who, who genuinely believes that the world needs to burn in order for the elites to rise. Mm -hmm. he's a he's an occult traditionalist he follows a guy named julius evola who is a very scary nazi adjacent philosopher from the early part of the 20th century who believes in cycles and those cycles include basically the rabble becoming taking over the elite a dark period coming over the world they're becoming an apocalypse and then the elites rise Mm -hmm. and Bannon genuinely in his heart believes that needs to happen now so that he and his co-conspirators can take over the world.
0: It seems to bear out in reality, this theory that there's an elite network of people trying to do something dramatic to the world. Certainly, it seems like the the coronavirus and these various other things that are plaguing us, including Donald Trump and and what have you, you've got a situation which doesn't feel normal, that there is some sort of elite movement. So maybe the theory is probably wrong, obviously, but the reality of it is that, <laughs> okay. um, hopefully, but that, that there are people like Bannon out there trying to do some crazy stuff to us. And it's not just a lot of thinking and talking and, mm. and maneuvering, they're actually doing it. And, and well, Bannon is one of Look at, yeah, look at Mike Flynn. He's doing, it's the same exact
1: thing. They're both apocalyptic ideologues. Mm-hmm. Uh, Flynn is a dominionist. So he's a a Christian. Theocratic fascist, basically, that he believes that the end times have to come in order for him to be, you know, saved and taken off to heaven. Everybody else, all us heathens are left behind. That's his version of it, but it's basically the same exact philosophy and creates the same behavior, which is accelerationism. These guys actually want the world to burn in order for them to rise. That's what they actually believe
0: in their heart. Right. It's uh, interesting you mentioned Michael Flynn and and Steve Bannon, because they're two important people in this context, as as is Roger Stone. uh, Those are probably the three that I think of the most were the brains, if you would, behind this uh, one-six movement. Michael Flynn, we've spoken about enormously on the show, and so we've spoken about Roger Stone as well. It's interesting, all three of them received pardons by Donald Trump just before he, he left office, which presaged this. Maybe it gave us a preview of what was coming, or at least gave them cover to continue to break the law, as they have done. Um, with 1-6 and still um, escape any prosecution. But these three, when I look at them, they really are the most important people that we're aware of from Trump's inner circle that contributed to 1-6. The thing is about Steve Bannon, he's mysterious. He doesn't really seem to be there. He's there because you see him mentioned every once in a while, but you don't know quite what he did. But well, the other two are a little easier to understand. Yeah, oh, Bannon, well, Bannon has the war room, right? So
1: use the propaganda. And in my view, what he does is he finds the, the most convenient billionaire to basically be a parasite on their money and power. And he he uses them to get whatever he wants. He did it with Mercer. Now he's doing it. Well, he, but it's all in order to push forward his insane vision of the world, which is that he is this elite that really needs all these rabble to go away so that he can have
0: his uh, golden age. Right. The link as well that I keep coming to with Steve Bannon is Gamergate and a lot of those early iterations of this manipulation of people's minds through gaming, which, of course, mm-hmm. Jimmy's, you're an expert yeah. in and why we've spoken to you before. But you tell, take people through those early days. I have a little timeline here that might be helpful for people to just position everyone. I guess it was 2005 when Bannon secured $60 million in funding from Goldman Sachs. And other investors for something called the Internet Gaming Entertainment or something. Well, that's a company, <laughs> IGE. Yeah. Uh, it's a Hong Kong based company, which never actually created any games, as far as I understand. They just sort of played, they just, they just farmed
1: gold and sold it. You know, it was an, an early electronic asset sort of business where they would get farms of people to go and play World of Warcraft, make a bunch of gold, and then go sell it for real <laughs> money. Wow. And then
0: in and in 2006, Ahaba Hotel, yeah.
1: that that was uh when a group of people early on basically crashed this poor little website of people who were, you know, supposed to be having a little social network together and a, a bunch of uh, crazy anon's took it over and did a bunch of really obnoxious shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the the kickoff to the whole the anonymous can brigading, trolling movement is when all that kind of began. Okay. Um, it really got serious in and, and the mid-teens um, with Gamergate and some of
0: those things. Okay. I mean, so, it was, it, so tell, tell us a little bit about Gamergate without getting too confusing. It, it was a, a, a prequel, if you would, to Q. Yeah, at the time, it didn't know
1: it was a prequel, but for sure it was a, a bullshit controversy about women and SJWs and gaming where uh, a bunch of of people used misogyny basically to radicalize a whole bunch of kids effectively, including starting with people on the chans who candidly tended to be fairly antisocial social and obnoxious to begin with. But what happened was it this thing started on, actually started on wizard-chan and then it went to 4-chan and then it went to 8-chan. Progressively worse uh, until there were people dying. There were people getting splatted, and just hundreds of people being traumatized every single day by a giant mass of trolls. And this radicalization engine grew and grew to the point where Milo, who was a Breitbart at the time, paid it. A- Paid attention to it, was like, well, look here, we've got a whole bunch of angry, young, largely conservative-leaning people. Let's see how far we can push this. Bannon agreed, and over you know the course of a couple of years, basically turned Gamergate into the alt-right, wow. including Richard Spencer and that whole thing. The alt-right would not have happened the way it did if it was not for Gamergate. So when was that? That was around 2014 or 2015? Well, 2015 is when Milo and Bannon started really getting involved. It hit its its peak in early to mid-2015,
0: I would say. Which is really interesting because in 2014 is when suddenly Bannon is part of the Robert Mercer, not suddenly, but that's when we find him as part of the Robert Mercer empire buying Cambridge Analytica which, you know, is a mm-hmm. tiny unknown company, which no one really knew about. But as it turns out, it would land up shaping an American election and maybe Brexit as well. And it, it was bought mysteriously you know, by Mercer in 2014. No one really knew what they were doing with it, except Steve Bannon wanted to build a, I guess there's no other way to describe it, but a mindfuck machine. And that's what they did with with Cambridge Analytica.
1: Yeah, they sure did. And B- Bannon, remember who was involved in it, right? Bannon Flynn was involved. They were working with Facebook data, which brings in Peter Thiel, forgive me, and that whole thing. So yeah, Bannon knew the power of technology to drive my, mm-hmm. and he saw it directly in Gamergate. And I, and who knows what order these things happened, but at around the same time, he saw an opportunity to technologically do what he was seeing online, but have a better way of targeting people than just people who happen to be doing
0: Gamergate stuff. right? And so the Mercer's become big backers of Donald Trump. And in August, 2016, Steve Bannon is a Trump campaign manager and he stays there. They win the election together and he uh, becomes the chief strategist to Donald Trump. Now, here's something else that happened in 2016 and it ties into Epoch Times and NTD. And I had no idea these things happened. This I found out today, I was like, what? How come I know this? But there you go. Between 2012 and 2016, NTDT, which is the New Tang Dynasty television network, received $900,000 from Renaissance Technology. And Renaissance Technology is, technologies might be the word correct name, is Robert Mercer's company. And I don't know why um, this particular fund that Mercer owns would have decided to pay $900,000 to NTDT, but they did. Were you aware of this? Have you ever heard of this before? Uh, does it come to, into your world? It's interesting, right? It's, I mean, something I like, have no idea. And then, <laughs> and and then on not. top of that, it turns out that Steve Bannon used to produce documentaries, which we all know, but he used to produce them for NTDT. And amongst, and here's a quote from him, a direct quote, I'd give them a number on a project budget and they'd come back and they'd say, we're good for that number which never happens if you've ever produced a documentary or tried to produce a TV show or documentary. No one ever says, sure, we'll pay whatever you want in your budget. It right. doesn't happen that way. So it's pretty weird that for some reason, this bizarre little network that runs out of the uh, Falun Gong Epoch Times world was just handing over money to Stephen, B- to Stephen Bannon and saying, go ahead make a documentary, which he did some weird documentary in 2016. I, I, I find it really interesting that those, that happened, but also that it happened at the same time that Mercer was giving them. Nine hundred thousand dollars to do, we don't know what with. Yeah, they didn't give a shit about the money. That's yeah. not what it was
1: about. It yeah. was an investment. It was yeah. obviously an investment. That nine hundred grand is
0: <laughs> not even no. pocket change. No, it's not. But there's something was. It was an exchange for something. It was certainly say uh, it indicated something for them. Sure. And you no know, doubt. And Falun Gong doesn't need that much money either. It turns out uh, because somehow miraculously, the Epoch Times makes a lot of money. Strangely, because it, pr- it prints actual newspapers. You see them everywhere. You can see them in your neighborhoods, I'm sure. You see them mine every day. There's you know tons of these newspapers dumped on people's doorsteps, and they contain a strange mix of really extreme far-right news coverage. And a lot of it is conspiratorial. And certainly when you read it, you you would walk away thinking that the liberals were complete communists and taking over the world and destroying it, which is not at all the case. But certainly through the Epoch Times lens of news, that is the case. And they're super supportive of Donald Trump and this crazy white nationalism which doesn't really make sense for an organization which basically membership is not really white
2: yeah so when you put up that uh, picture of Roger Stone Michael Flynn and Steve Bannon mm-hmm. immediately what came to mind was disinformation mm-hmm. and the epic Times has been making huge ad buys on YouTube when you go into a video your video may start up with an epoch times and it may just look like somebody's just speaking to you in the normal thing but then by the time you get to the first or second minute of it you wonder what are you, what are
0: you saying to me here right they're, they're very very good at that yeah yeah it's, it's facebook ads they spent and they're also spending money directly on behalf of the trump campaign like one and a half billion dollars on facebook ads for the trump campaign which again is bizarre like why would a tv network or a newspaper need to spend money of their money on a campaign it just makes no sense normally it's the other way around but your point about YouTube is correct, because when I look at, um, and I might even have the graph here, there is an enormous amount of knowledge now about how Stop the Steal became a term in late 2020 and beginning of this year. And a lot of that came out of out of YouTube. In fact, most of it came out of YouTube. Um, this is I'm not sure where they saw some of this. I think it's Just Security had this on their page. And I won't read you the whole thing, but it said that most of the, the Stop the Steal, Stop the Steal terminology showed up between September 1st, 22nd and February the 2nd, 2021. 70 million engagements on different platforms. More than 43.5 million of those engagements were registered in December alone. So there was certainly a buildup into January. But the 83% of total engagements were registered on YouTube videos. Not necessarily YouTube videos that stayed on YouTube. Also replayed you on Facebook, Twitter, and other places. But that 80, um, 83% is such a high number. It's clearly a strategy that someone employed. and it's, And it could be that the Epoch Times and NTD we among the people who were putting out their content, their conspiracy con- conspiracy theory content in YouTube, and then distributing it through other channels, and that's why we're seeing this high eighty three percent of engagement for YouTube for Stop the Steal. I think that was a, a an interesting uh, little bit of, of data to throw into our discussion here, because YouTube is not often discussed. We talk, we do talk about them, but we don't talk about them in the way we talk about Facebook. Nor is it do nor do we talk about them in the way the same way as we do Twitter. In some ways, one of the things about Stop the Steal is, if you remember, it was. Really coined by Roger Stone back in
2: 2016 mm. during the Republican National Convention, so that if Trump wasn't nominated. They were saying, "Hey, we got to stop this deal." Mm. So, in 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 some way, it was ready made, and then you see what you know became of it. It sort of evolved from there. Mm. Yeah,
1: There was America First, by the way. It was the same exact formulation as it is now, which is America First and and stop the deal and big lie. They had that all set up already for. 2016 but to their surprise they won Right, <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> well some people say it's just the it's just the dry run some people say that january 6th was it just the the first time no it's the second time the second because the yeah. first time was when was the it was 2016 you could make an argument
1: that the disinformation that led up to 2016 with remember guccifer and the and the emails and the ridiculous amount of disinformation that was happening before 2016 was also, in my mind, obviously a contributing factor, if not the deciding one to how he won. You could argue, even if it wasn't a physical insurrection, that there was a similar attempt and partial
2: success at undermining the act.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely.